Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. I have a few things to tell you today. There's a pandemic. Did you know that? Did you know that home is holy ground? And would you do me a huge favor wherever you are? If it's at all possible, could you slip your shoes off? Just take them off wherever you're sitting or standing. Maybe if you're driving the car, you could slip off one shoe. Today I want to give you some theology that I consider a part of God's wonderful plan and grace for us. And it's not sleepless in Seattle theology. Do you remember sleepless in Seattle? Do you remember when I took her hand, I knew I was home. Like you, I've been watching the news a bit more. Advertisements, comments, and I am stunned at how often I hear the word home. Salespeople trying to sell me new things for my home. Now that you're home, you'd like a TV and more carpet and the tile you haven't been able to put in. And this is what home is about. And home's funniest videos, but this time through the pandemic. And I did watch it. They were hysterical. And all the while I'm thinking about that, the word home always sets off a trigger for me, a trigger of my own home life, a trigger of the home that my husband and I uh, desired to create. And the times that I've talked through the years of the Ministry of Modern Homemakers to what home in God's economy is. So for the next few days, and I don't know how long this will go, I hope that you will join me in looking at various aspects of home. Under the umbrella of home is holy ground. You've said the Lord's Prayer. No matter where you were churched, you've said the Lord's Prayer somewhere, read it somewhere, heard someone pray it or say it. And he says, hallowed be thy name. That's what the Lord's Prayer reads. Hallowed be thy name. And you know, hallowed places were set aside for groves and grottos, and places mattered. They thought a place could be fenced off to acknowledge that here in this place, the dwelling place of God. History and ruins dot the places where spaces were hallowed. It was a way of marking the territory so no one would defame it. We've heard of many people groups around the world whose very burial grounds are defamed by construction and building damage. Now, we are long past knowing that gods or the one true God lives in any tabernacle. We, we know that we think anyway, that we believe that God is in our hearts, not in a tabernacle, not in a place and that we are his tabernacle. We pay attention to our space. We keep our hearts as pure as they can be. We keep them swept out, so to speak. Well, my husband and I recently moved, and we moved to a new home, which is an old house. And because of the pandemic, we made a very last-minute decision to move into an unfinished house. When I say unfinished, girls, I'm talking unfinished. I always start with the big one. I have no kitchen. And people's mouth drops out like, what do you do? Well, I have a refrigerator and a freezer. I have some tables. I have a little microwave, which is sort of working. 
I have a hot pot that makes coffee because coffee is the essential food. But other than that, no stove, no sink, no running water, no real dishes, two forks, two spoons, and some paper plates. Not exactly how we're accustomed to doing life. But we have new floors. That was the trigger. When the floors could be finished, we said we can do anything if we have floors. If it's not concrete there, we think we can do anything. But I noticed I've been brooming a lot. That's what I call it, brooming. I've been sweeping a lot. And this morning as I was thinking about being together, I thought, I do a lot of brooming, don't you? The floors in your house, the patios, the front porch. Those of you who live in the climates where there's snow, you're not brooming, but you're certainly shoveling. We, we want to keep our paths clean. We want to keep them straight. And I'm very aware of the circumstances in my world. I've been brooming a lot, and there are some things you just can't broom out, like a pandemic, or estranged relatives, or my 91-year-old eccentric father who cannot see for a moment that he's younger than 17. So what are our hallowed spaces? What is our sacred ground? Well, it's our heart, our heart, his home, and then your home, his home. I know, peanut butter jelly sandwiches in the kitchen every noon does not conjure up hallowed ground, does it? Dirty toilets and laundry and driving in traffic and telemedicine does not seem like hallowed ground. Managing a multitude of children in your household who are engaged in different schools at different levels, all doing it on the technology tools, which we're so grateful for, and yet so diverse. And we're not asking you to homeschool them. We're just asking you to figure out what they do next and when they do it and keep it managed. I've seen that word so many times. Yes, we do everything we do for Jesus. We are an outpouring of our lives. I remember Elizabeth Elliot saying so many times, so many times that I said to her one time, I think you should find a new illustration. She said, what's wrong with the one I have? And she would say, every diaper you change, you're changing that diaper to the glory of God. Because he says, well, all we do, we do it unto him. When did, I wash, when did I wash your feet? When did I change your diaper? When did I broom your house? As you did it to the least, you did it to me. And you do it. But after the 500th diaper or the 5,000th dish or piece of silverware or meals, don't do this. I've done this, but don't do it. I figured out how many years I've been married and how many meals I might have cooked in those. The number was astronomical. No wonder I don't want to cook. I'm using having no kitchen as a reason for not cooking. But the reality is after you've done it for so many times, it doesn't feel like hallowed ground. It doesn't feel very holy, does it? Raising children and staying married, teaching and living in his truth does not sound like hallowed ground. If anything, it sounds kind of mucky, doesn't it? It sounds kind of icky. And we save all our God stuff for church on Sundays. And now we're not even getting to go to church on Sundays. So what's going on inside of you? Well, Tom Howard, who wrote a lovely book about home, and I'm going to use some of his excerpts in these times we are together, he said, the sheer necessities of modern life sweep us further from any sense that it is hallowed. The sheer necessities of modern life. He wrote that statement 45 years ago. 
And I was so struck with the fact that in his day, the sheer necessities of modern life were just as many, just different than ours. And ours are going to be just different of the next generation. But the reality is that it, it pushes us away from thinking of it as hallowed ground, as sacred, as holy, as something important unto the Lord. Like I said, after the 5,000th dish, how can that be hallowed? How can it be important? So I want to suggest to you that in these days together, that there are some routines that can be done which will allow you to do this work as an offering to God, as a sacrifice of yourself. This may be the 2020 pandemic, but it is just a different scene in a much different place. But it was just like Abel lived through, or Solomon lived through, or those who lived through the Black Plague of the 700s. Sure, we have TV and internet and a million social media options, but I want to say I clearly believe we can hallow our homes and the lives we are engaged in. Now, there's a word that the church uses sometimes, and I've never really been crazy about it. And maybe I should look at another definition, a recent definition of the word secular. What does secular mean? The scripture talks about things of, the, of God and things of the world. And yet there's a lot of buzzing around about secularization these days. And what they're talking about is basically saying, what or who is in charge of you and the choices you make? Now, I have two grandchildren. If you've been around, you know you've migrated with me. The oldest one will be 16 in a few months, the youngest 14. But I can remember the youngest, my dear Eliana. She could not have been three and a half years old. And she looked at me with those beautiful eyes of hers and she said, you are not the boss of me. And I thought, no. Well, yes, Eliana, I am for the moment. Your mama and daddy are gone, and Boompa and I are the boss of you. She did not like that in the first place. But in the second place, she, she couldn't figure out the transition. She, mama and daddy are the boss of her, and now they don't seem to be around. And because in the early years of her life, we lived on the same property in separate buildings, she, there was a lot of mixing and matching. And what do you mean I'm not the boss of you? What do you mean you are the boss of me? When I think about secularization being who's in charge of you or the choices you make, I've been daunted by this myself. I leave my cell phone at home intentionally, and someone says to me, you don't have your phone? And I think the choice I made to leave my phone at home, sometimes it's just because it needs to be charged, but sometimes it's because cause I don't want to be bothered with it. I don't want, and yet it has become the tool that people can reach you immediately. And my first thought when I leave my phone at home is if I'm going somewhere and that someone or somewhere needs to get a hold of me because they're not going to make it or, and I, and I think, no, no. Now that phone has become in charge of me, not my choices. So I believe we daily walk among the hallows, and I want to encourage you to offer the weeks, the days, the minutes that are before you and recover the hallowed ground, the holy ground, the eating, the drinking, the cleaning, the loving, the playing, 
the understanding and the growing that goes on in your space, in your life, and to recognize it is precious to him. He is in it. He is in your heart. Your heart is his home. And your heart leads often the home and the family that you are a part of. We all take responsibility for that. I'm talking about those same lovely grandchildren. My grandson, who's turned out to be six foot two inches tall and bigger than everyone in the family. And um, sometimes he starts to speak and he thinks that his big frame, even though he's 15 years old, is going to get him the honor of everyone doing what he thinks they should do. He wants to claim the space. And I want us to remember that no one can claim these spaces unless we give them choice over it. That claiming these spaces for his glory and for the good of the loved ones which we are here to care for. My husband and I, we have been an energetic couple all of our lives. And we have done house things and painting things and projects of all sorts. And we've undertaken things that most people wouldn't even think about undertaking. My husband built a beautiful mosaic in our former house that was 12 or 15 feet long and 10 feet high, and he broke all the pieces of glasses and pottery himself with a funny little tool in his bare hands. I think, oh my gosh, what a load of work. And here we are in this unfinished house, and we keep trying these projects of which we are not the same folks we used to be, A, and B, we just can't even run to Home Depot and get what we want like we used to be. So home is the place where one lives permanently, especially as a member of a household. That's what Webster says. What is home? The place where one lives permanently. Okay, and permanently means you're in this house and we move from that house to another house, but permanently we are together here and we are a member of this household. What does God say? In the Sleepless in Seattle theology, I had took her hand and I knew I was home. Is taking someone's hand make you know you are home? Oh, I understand. I understand the touch. I understand the clarity of what they're trying to say. But I want us to remember that it's not sleepless in Seattle and holding someone's hand. It's not because you live in a certain place that you can call home. It's about what the Lord says about home. And he says many things to us. The scripture is full of places that he speaks of home. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, says the psalmist. And Solomon, the wisdom writer, tells us that the wise woman builds her house and the foolish woman tears it down with her very own hands. How many of us have done that? And Joshua proudly proclaims, as for me and my home, my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you please sigh with me when I say, oh, I want to put it and get it started and make it work all over. It takes, it just comes over me when I feel these words take hold in my soul. And I want to get up and do something. I want to get up and get started. Moses, and in his old age, he's 120 years old, and he's been doing what he's been doing and serving the Lord. And now it is time to go into the promised land, a new homeland for the children of Israel. And Joshua is about to take over, and uh, they're going to cross over to the promised land. And Moses knows he can't go. He's not going. And he says these words to the people. 
be strong and bold. He says them to Joshua first as they trickle down to the people. Be strong and bold. I think it takes a strength and a boldness to say, as for me and my house, and let the Lord build your house, not me. Have no fear or dread of them. Who are the them? Oh, in our culture, the them is everything that comes in and secularizes what God calls us to do. Do we give up things like devotions and Bible reading and praying together? And one of my family members, a woman told me this just in the last few weeks, I have a child in my family who says he feels uncomfortable when we pray. I thought, honor that. That's an important expression of his emotion. But does that sentence mean we should stop praying? It's easy to, to look at that and say, I don't want to offend him. What if I offend him? And then maybe he'll never follow Christ as closely. Oh, we have to be willing to do what we think God calls us to do, to be strong and bold and not to be afraid or to dread because of the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not fail or forsake you. There's much, much more to come in this topic of building your home on holy ground, some grand stories, and much information. But for today, I want to end our time with a couple of tools that I think will be helpful to you. Um, One of them is on the website, and it's called Your Home is Holy Ground. And it's nothing more than a stick figure house and a few words on the outside of the house. So I want you to know that your vision determines your mission. Home, what does the home look like in your, fill in your family name, what does your home look like? What has God called you to do? You and your husband to do? You if you're a single woman, you if you're a single mother. What has God called you to do? Do you know what he's asking you to do? Do you know who you are well enough to say what I want in my home is? Your vision will determine your mission. Your vision will determine how you're going to lean into God and let your strength and boldness be manifested to accomplish it. There's a plenty of old mottos around and I use some of them frequently but if you've always done what you if you always do what you've always done you'll always get what you've always gotten and if you're pulling your hair out not only because of the pandemic but now school's out and nothing is the way it is and you're looking around your home and saying how did we get here and many women have told me that's what they feel like in these days I believe that God is calling you to create a new vision. So I offer this tool to you. It's a free resource on the um, Modern Homemaker's website. Make a hard copy of it. Sit down your whole family. Sit yourself down. Make a copy for everyone. Do it any way you want to. But let's decide, starting now, what are some things we'd like to see happening in our house Maybe some that we're already doing, we're going to keep right in the middle of that stick-drawing empty house. I want you to know that David and I did this many years ago, and the very first thing we put inside our stick-figure house was laughter. It was laughter. 
we wanted, and sometimes these days, decades later, we say, oh, the laughter has gone out. We're more serious. We have more responsibilities. We, we see the world more seriously. I'm probably the leader of the serious stuff at our house, but we are reminded by that stick figure vision we had what our mission was, and we do things that make us laugh more. We enjoy the company of others who are merry and full of laughter. So what are they? Are they pets? Are they shared meals? Is it financial security? Is it comfortableness? Is it beauty? Is it a vegetable garden? Is it peace? Is it prayer? Is it a home that studies the Bible together and knows God together? Visualize what your vision for your home could be, and you will be able to accomplish it. I have a few in my hand that have been given to me. Have my husband fill out one of these and bring it to you. (laughs) I love that one. Um, Another one said that my husband and I would be in agreement, and I thought, well, she's been listening. We know that we here at Modern Homemakers think that husbands and wives should work to being in agreement. The second is a resource that my husband and I wrote some years ago, and I'd like to end our time with it. Both of these free resources can be found on the website, and you can copy them and reuse them as many times as you'd like. Maybe you'll take the poem and frame it and hang it as a reminder. Remember that you are very loved by all of us at Modern Homemakers, and we have been praying for all the tumultuous turmoils, the lack of toilet paper, and many other resources, and the presence of much more noise and confusion than you ever hoped would be a part of your daily life. There's a wonderful place of space so secure and warm that all who are privileged to live there call it home. Who holds the heart of this home? The walls are colored with laughter and the floors with wall-to-wall memories. Each space testifies to the bustling energy and joy of blended lives. Who holds the heart of this home? It's more than an address or a statement of achievement and style. It's a tender oasis from the storms of daily life, a place of peace and rest. Who holds the heart of this home? Cheerleaders for life dwell here, as do living testimonies for faith. Imperfect saints work out the walk of wisdom in the halls of this home. Who holds the heart of this home? For every damaged day and sharp defeat, home is the balm for the wound. For every cutting word and ungracious event, home is the kindness we crave. Who holds the heart of this home? And every bad memory of family and childhood is swallowed in the embrace of a new, now, happy home. A time for forgiveness and healing is here in the sanctuary of a home. Who holds the heart of this home? So those who build a home instead of a house, a deliberate and prayer-laced place, rather than a sterile designer delight, do well. Who holds the heart of this home? You hold the heart of this home. And when we come together the next time, I want to speak to you a little bit about your home, your heart, and what you bring to your family. I hope it will encourage you to see both the best and the worst side of what God has given 
you and his assurance that you would be strong and bold for he is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. I'm Donna Otto and this is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day at exploring hallowed ground.